may be seated. Thank you for coming this morning. Welcome to uh, Banner Church today. It's just really great to have you. I met just a few new people here this morning. We especially want to welcome our guests. If you get a chance to uh, welcome some of our new guests, please do that uh, this morning. We have a lot of people gone uh, out of town. Obviously, it's that time of year of a transitional year, uh, time a month, and uh, a lot of them will be back uh, this next Sunday. Thank you for praying for us as well. We were gone this last weekend. If you would, I would really uh, cover your prayers for my dad. He's uh, at Barrels Neurological uh, Center here at, uh, in the hospital here in Phoenix. And he can't walk, and they're having a hard time figuring out a diagnosis for him. In fact, we have a meeting with the doctors, some neurologists uh, this afternoon. But I really appreciate your prayers. It's been a really challenging time for my family. And, uh, but my dad, he's, he's 81, but healthy otherwise, other than this condition that he has that uh, has affected him neurologically. But we're just really believing for a miracle for my father. So if you pray for us, we'd really appreciate that, that this morning. We're going through the book of Daniel. And uh, as you know, this is a book that uh, it's very, very direct in the sense that it shows a picture uh, of a young man who was a teenager when he was taken captive in Jerusalem and, and taken to Babylonia. And working under King Nebuchadnezzar was quite a challenge for him and his friends as their captives there and they go through the training to serve in that. But the title of this series, as you know, is it says, Living an Uncompromised Life, and that's what we want to speak about this morning. I read an article recently uh, about a lady that she was parked in front of a, of a mall wiping off her car, and she had just come out of a car wash, and she was waiting for her husband to get off work. So she got out of her car and started drying off the car after she came out of this car wash. And she said, uh, coming my way from across the parking lot is what society would consider a homeless person, a bum, or whatever, you know, you'd want to designate to that individual. And she got a little bit nervous, and she said, from the looks of him, he had no car, no home, no clean clothes, no money. And there's those times, she said, when you feel really generous, and then there's the times where you feel like, you know what, I just don't want to be bothered. <laughs> Do you ever get that feeling when you drive up to an intersection and you have somebody there that has the sign and they're collecting donations, and when they start coming towards your car, you just get a little, ah, oh, you know, it's just like, I just want to get through this intersection. You don't, it's awkward. You know, you're not sure how to respond sometimes or what to do. And that's most certainly where she was at in this situation. And uh, she's like thinking to herself, I hope he doesn't ask me for any money, I thought, but he didn't. And he came and sat on the curb in front of the bus stop, but he didn't look like he could have enough money even to get on the bus. And after a few moments, he spoke and said, you know, that's really a pretty car that you have. I said, thanks, and continue wiping off the car. And then I was waiting for that appeal that he would ask me for something, help or money or something. And um, as the silence between us widened, something inside me said, ask him if he needs any help. And I was sure that he would say yes, but I held true to the inner voice. And she said to him, do you, do you need any help? And he answered in three simple but profound words that I'll never forget. I expected nothing but an outstretched, grimy hand. But he spoke three words that really shook me. And he said this, don't we all? Don't we all? And I was feeling high and mighty successful and important above a bum in the street until those three words hit me like a 12-gauge shotgun, don't we all? I needed help. Maybe not for a bus fare, a place to sleep, uh, but I needed help. I reached in my wallet. 
I gave him enough for a bus fare and to get a meal and shelter for the day. And I realized that no matter how much you have, no matter how much you have accomplished, no matter who you are or where you have arrived, everybody in this world needs help. But it's the kind of help that we oftentimes don't recognize in our life. There's areas of my life I need help. I'm making an appeal, would you please pray for my father? I realize that I need a concert of people praying and interceding for my father. We need a, a physical breakthrough for him. The doctors, I mean, some of the best neurologists in the world came into uh, the hospital room yesterday. I was at the hospital. I mean, these men are, are world-renowned neurologists. And he sat down in front of my dad's bed, and he basically was just scratching his head. And Mr. Metcalf, I, I don't know what we're dealing with here. Even the best of the best. And I sat there and I realized we need divine intervention right now. We're praying for that. We need God's help. We, these doctors need wisdom. They're the best of the best, but they need help in, in diagnosing him and figuring out what it is causing or he can't even literally walk. His legs are just like jelly and they can't pinpoint it. And each and every one of us sitting in the room here this morning, there's areas of our life that maybe we wouldn't even really want to talk about or speak about or discuss with somebody, but there's certain those areas where it's like, this is out of my control. This is, I, I, I don't have a handle on this. I don't have enough wisdom or knowledge to really make the best decision perhaps, or maybe it could be physical. It could even be a spiritual issue of our life. It's like, I'm not sure where to take this, so we kind of just maybe shove it to the side or tuck it away. It's just like, well, I don't know what to do. I most certainly need help, but I don't want to admit that, so I'm just not going to worry about it, and maybe it will go away. And that most certainly is not a good solution, but we deal with things like that oftentimes in our life. And God has created us with the ability to make our own decisions and set a course for our life and so forth, but there, there's a trust in and a submission of our life to the Lord that he wants us to engage in where he leads and guides us by the power of the Holy Spirit day by day. And a few weeks ago, I was talking about prayer and perspective and the power of the Holy Spirit helps us to live an uncompromising life. As we pray, we go to the Lord saying, God, I need your help and your wisdom today to, to make it through this day successfully. I need perspective on the things I don't fully understand or really know a lot about. But Lord, most importantly, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to engage my life and help me to overcome situations that I can't do on my own. In other words, like this lady that was dealing uh, with this part, uh, this, in this parking lot with this homeless man, basically he's saying, don't we all. Yeah, we do. And that's why Jesus came. Living an uncompromised life in regards to that. And Daniel chapter 4 is the chapter we're on. I know that Josh last week spoke out of chapter 3, but I want to speak out of chapter 4. And there's just one particular concept that I want to focus on in chapter 4 that I think is really what I would call a game changer in the believer's life. It's been a game changer in my life. It could be a game changer in your life in the sense that it can turn the tide, it can give a breakthrough, and, and it, it can bring us to a place where we're really here from heaven, and we experience supernatural encounters with the Lord to help us in the things that we face in life. And in Daniel chapter 4 is a great illustration of King Nebuchadnezzar, who you've got to capture this, he's the most powerful leader in, in the modern world at that time, about 600 years before Jesus. And Babylon was 
was like the richest city in that part of the world and educationally and, and um, it was just an amazing place. And so he took the credit for this incredible city that was built and the kingdom that he was ruling over and he had people literally worship him for who he was and what he did. And I mean, this, this guy was at the top of, of the world in the sense of what the world would perceive as success. And he's laying in his bed in verse number 10, chapter 4. And he has this dream, and he saw a tree in the middle of the earth, and it grew very tall and strong, reaching into the heavens. In verse 12, it, it had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit, and animals lived in the shade, and birds nested in the branches. And all the world was fed from this tree. And he said in verse 13, as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger. He calls him a holy one coming down from heaven, and the messenger shouted, cut the tree and lop off its branches, shake its leaves, scatter its fruit, chase the wild animals from its shade. And he goes on in verse down in 17, this has been decreed by the messengers and commanded by the holy ones so everyone may know the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. And he gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Now the king obviously is troubled by this dream and he calls in Daniel who is the interpreter of dreams and has this reputation. He's already had engagement with the king and interpreted other dreams and he brings in his, his best guy, his most reliable person is Daniel who the spirit of God dwelled within him to interpret this dream. And we know that God will speak to us in many different ways through dreams, through visions, through other people, through the word of God itself, the written word will speak to us so clearly. And oftentimes in dreams, they, they could very well be warnings where God loves us so much, it's like he wants to warn us of, of a path that we're going on that's gonna lead to destruction or demise or a very painful experience. And God, like a father, typically, it's like he wants to steer us in a different direction, but he can't force us to do that. He can only warn us and hope that we'll make a decision and realize that he's speaking to us like he did this king. And Daniel, he interprets this dream, and I'm not going to take the time to read every verse, but basically he's saying to the king that you're this tree. And in verse 24, your majesty, when the Most High is declared, will happen to my Lord, the King, you'll be driven from human society. You will live in fields with wild animals. You're going to eat grass like a cow, and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. In other words, there, there's a higher power than you. And the stump and your roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means you'll receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. And he's appealing to the king in verse 27, please accept my advice, stop sinning and do what is right. Stop living a compromised life and start living an uncompromised life is what he's saying to the king. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor and perhaps then you will continue to prosper. So all these things did happen to the king, but 12 months later, he's walking on his roof of the royal palace in Babylon and as he looked out across the city, this is a year later after he has this warning and Daniel gives him an interpretation of the dream that this tree is you, this is what could happen to you if you don't humble yourself before God. 
And he says, as he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Can you imagine the pride in this? Can you imagine that it's, I'm the one that did this, and you know, was celebrating my royal splendor. He's standing on top of his palace, looking out over the city. He's puffed up in his own self-pride and everything, thinking, you know, he's the king of this, that he is responsible, and he's just oozing with pride in this scenario. He disregards the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And I want to say this to us, that God will always send a prophet to our life. You can mark this down. God will always, you can see it throughout scripture with David and all great leaders that God will send someone who is like a prophet to speak to us an interpretation or a warning in our life to help to redirect our paths. And so oftentimes we don't listen to those that come as a prophet. It could be a, a spouse. It could be a close friend. It could be a pastor or a spiritual leader. It could be, you know, the Holy Spirit himself warning us, but God will send a prophet. I want you to capture this. And in my life, I can go back and I can tell you times where people came to me, it's like, you, you really need to look at this. I'm concerned about you, Dana. And I, I remember when I was serving um, on the mission field, and I, I was so excited at the fruit that God was giving me in and, and different places I was going to minister. And most of the, uh, I started off going with teams, and, and I was working with Asian ministry teams at the time. But then I started getting invitations where I just started going by myself, and I was avoiding the principle of going out with at least two people, and I was going by myself on that, and I had somebody come and give me a very clear warning. You need at least to take one person with you. If anything, just to pray while you're ministering and to bring accountability and strength and so forth, and you know you've, you've led the teams how important it is to go as a team. But honestly, I think just in my prayer, well, God's using me. I mean, this is great. Look at the fruit. I mean, I'm, I'm being used here. And I, I just kind of disregard, like, it's not that big of a deal. God's still going to use me, and he did use me. And I begin to do things alone more and more and more, and I did not heed Someone who came to me really with a prophetic voice warning me in that. In fact, I had a retired missionary in Prescott before I left for that term sat down with me and she said, Dane, I just want to give you a word of, of, of wisdom and a warning. Don't let the ministry become a golden calf in your life, which so many ministers allow. Oh, I know that. I want to put God first and, you know, I'm not going to let my, you know, and even ministry can be something of idolatry as we put before the Lord. And I got in that mode where I didn't listen even to that warning at all where I was just so much success. And, and by the way, that if you're a businessman, if you're a believer, whatever, the greatest test of your integrity, the greatest test of your character, like so many people in the world that we read about, is success. That will be the greatest test that you will go through. The success of this king is literally would become his demise because he began to think, this is me doing this, not God. And I remember getting to a point where I got so sick and I'm laying there with typhoid on my hospital bed and I said, God, what did I do wrong? And I began to think of those warnings of somebody came to me really as a prophet warning me and I didn't heed the warnings and I'm laying there and I'm like, God, I need you to raise me up from this illness. How do I get to this place? And it's like, I didn't do this, you did it. <laughs> you didn't heed the warning. 
And I could share so many stories in my life in that where it's like, I wish I would have listened a little bit more uh, to what the Lord was saying to me. And so Daniel goes to him. He's got credibility, but he doesn't listen. He's standing up on the rooftop of this place. And so the Lord steps in, and while the words were still in his mouth, in verse 31, a voice called down from heaven, said, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You're no longer ruler of this kingdom. You're going to be driven from human society. You're going to live in the fields with the wild animals. You're going to eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, and you will learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms in the world and gives them to anyone that he chooses. If you can imagine that he goes through this, he's out there, and it says that his hair grows long. He's got like the mind of an animal. His fingernails and toenails grow. He's just out there like an animal. He's eating grass like a cow. And I mean, it's an awful thing. He goes from literally on the top of the world in the sense as a leader and successful, and then God brings him, and literally God humbles him to a place where he can understand that God is still sovereign. God is still in control of the world and of your life and so forth. And he finally realizes that God is sovereign in this. And he looks up into heaven in verse 34 and he said, my sanity returned. And it says in the Bible that I praise and I worship the most high and I honor the one who lives forever. And he makes this proclamation. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. And in verse 35, all the people of the earth and nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. And no one can stop him or say, what do these thi- uh, you mean by doing these things? And in verse 37, this is really the text of my message this morning that I want you to capture. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor God, the King of heaven. There's a transformation that took place in this king's life from this experience. And he said, all his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. And I want to speak to you this morning about humbleness. Humbleness is, when I said earlier, it's like a game changer in our life. And I remember in those situations of my life where God sent a Daniel to me that I didn't realize it was a Daniel speaking, a little retired missionary or or my wife, or a friend, or somebody else that was telling me, you know, you need to be, you need to heed this, or be warned of this, and I thought, man, I'm so successful, I'm doing so good, and I'm on the top of my game, and things are going so well, I don't need to worry about that. And I remember laying there in my hospital bed, weeping a bucket of tears, saying, God, I'm so sorry that I allowed my ministry to become a golden calf in my life, and I put it before you, and it was so fruitful, and I felt like because you were using me that you would overlook the lack of time that I spent with you individually, and Lord, I was really worshiping the very gift and not the gift giver. Of course, God, forgive and restore, and those are very painful but yet valuable lessons. And here's the precedent that is so important for us. When the Bible talks about humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up, either we humble ourselves or God will humble us. There's there's two options here that 
God doesn't want to have to humble us like he did in Nebuchadnezzar in this situation. But if we keep ourselves humble, if we humble ourselves and keep ourselves in a place of just under dependence upon the Lord for all that we do, we're, we're living this spirit-empowered life where even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross, and we're going to come to the communion table here in just a few moments, and I want you to understand that he has this human will and then the will of God, the, the spiritual will of God, and, and he's praying, and he's like, God, not my will, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. I, you know, his human will is saying, I don't want to go to the cross and suffer this cup, that drink this cup of suffering, but Lord, not my human self will, but let your will be done. And he humbles himself in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, God, I want your will to be done in my life. And through that act of humility and the humbleness, he's able to go to the cross and to die for the sins of the world and to be raised up from the grave on the third day. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. This is the God that we serve that models this. We either humble ourselves or God will humble us in different ways so that he can bring us to a place where we will surrender our lives to him and we realize really what life is all about and prosperity really is and what true success in the kingdom is so different than success in the world. And we measure success in the world by the fame and the fortune and the wealth and all those things that we'll spend our lives like you know, aggressively, like, I want to make more money, and I want to be more famous, and all of these things, so that people will think that I'm really special, and important, and successful, and our measurement of success is so different than the kingdom of God. Hear my heart here this morning, success in the kingdom of God is not about fame, and fortune, and wealth, it's about one word, and it's called obedience. Success is obedience in the kingdom. And before every miracle that we see, Jesus performed in the Bible, there, there's an act of obedience. It's like, what, what do you want? I want you to open my eyes. I want you to heal me. Then go down and, you know, you spit on the dirt and make mud balls. Now go down to the water and wash off these spit balls off your eyes and see what happens. I'm thinking, this is a ridiculous act of obedience. He's asking of this blind man, but that Jesus wants to see if he really has faith or not. He goes down, he washes off the spit ball off his eyes, and he's healed. And we see example after example after example that we know that those who dare to do the ridiculous in the kingdom of God, God will do the impossible. You can write it down. Some of the acts of obedience God has asked me to do in my life and my ministry and my family and everything is just like, if the world would look at that, they'd think this is really ridiculous. But I feel like the Lord is saying this to me. And through an act of obedience, I've seen some of the greatest miracles happen in my life. But it takes someone that has a humble spirit to say, you know what? I don't care if the world laughs at me. I don't care what people think. I want to please the Lord. This was the Daniel spirit that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Daniel was just really concerned of what the Lord thought and obeying the Lord so that he could be used by God even in this really evil kingdom with Nebuchadnezzar. And God used Daniel in such amazing ways. And the greatest miracles that we see in his life was preceded just by a humble obedience of this servant of God that didn't care what other people thought. Even if it cost me my life, even if it cost me my reputation in the world sense, even if it cost me everything, I just want to walk in obedience to the Lord. And by doing that, he was snatched from the lion's den, he was snatched from the fiery furnace, and God kept elevating and exalting him. And as the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up, and not only lift you up, but it's the principle of promotion in 
in our life, spiritually, even in our job, even in our marriage, in our family and relationships, God will promote us and lift us up and he will bless us and prosper us. It's like, how did I get there? It wasn't anything that you did, I promise. But as you humble yourself before the Lord and walked in obedience to him, it's like the Lord's like, I can trust you. You're a man of character and humility. You humble yourself and, and you, you've proven that you will obey me. And so God lifts us up and we find out what promotion really is and it comes from the hand of God. It's like, I'm not going to promote myself. How many like being around people who are self-promoting? How many have worked in a business, all of us probably, where we see a fellow employee sucking up to the boss and they're just promoting themselves and they're sucking up to the boss and it's just like, that's disgusting. You know, it's like they're sucking up and they just want to get promoted and they're saying all the right things and they're kissing up as we say. But I'm going to tell you what, in the kingdom of God, it's not like that. The Lord is saying, I just want you to walk in humility, humble yourself before me and recognize that I'm the one that can give the gifts. I'm the one that can prosper you. I'm the one that can promote you in my timing. It'll be a supernatural thing. Just trust me, walk in obedience with me. And I've seen people in the kingdom that were promoted supernaturally and when you're promoted supernaturally, nobody can take that position away from you. In all my years of ministry, I've had young men and women and, that we've discipled and leaders, and I've had people ask me, don't you feel a little threatened sometime when some young leader is, you know, preaching better than you and they're just a rising star in the church or whatever? Do you feel a little bit threatened? I'm like, no, I don't at all. I really don't. And Bridget and I just enjoy watching people succeed. And I tell young guys that I've worked with, I want you to preach better than I do. I want you to lead better than me because, you know, that's what discipleship is all about, to help you be successful. But here's the deal. God promoted me into the position that I'm in. And you know what? God can put me there. He can take me out. I'm not threatened by men. I'm only really walking the fear of the Lord because because it's God that put me here. And if you want my job, if you want my position and title, here, take it. Because if God didn't give it to you, you won't have it very long. <laughs> you really won't. If you manipulated your way into a position in ministry, you won't be there very long. Because it wasn't God. And there's a security knowing, and I think Daniel had this security that it's like, I know God put me here, God's promoted me in this kingdom that I never wanted to be a part of, but God kept promoting Daniel and honoring him, and he knew it was the Lord, and there was a confidence there, but yet he was a man that understood humility and humbleness, and then here's this king said, he is able to humble the proud. Daniel, which means God is my judge. In Psalm 149.4, it says, he crowns the humble with victory. In Matthew 18.4, Jesus said, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you'll know passages that you probably read as well that Jesus talks about humility and humbleness and he said those that are proud and arrogant like that, they're gonna be humble, but those that are humble, I will lift them up, I, I will exalt them, I will pro them, promote them. It's the kingdom principle of promotion. 
I want to be successful. You know, I think that God put that inert desire within the spirit and the heart of every man and every woman is I, I want to be successful in what I'm doing and not just my job but with my family. There's that, that passion and that hunger and that desire that I, I want to succeed. I want to prosper in this. And, you know, I don't want to fail. You know, we fear failure. I don't want to be humiliated in my failure and make mistakes, but I want to be successful and I can promise you that the kingdom principle of promotion and success is walking in that spirit of humility that Daniel demonstrates to us that if God can take a king like Nebuchadnezzar and bring him to a place and he's going around eating grass like a cow and that place and he finally realizes that God's authority and God's sovereignty much more supersedes anything that he could have possibly imagined and fortunately Nebuchadnezzar comes to a place of sanity in his mind and realizes, and he was humbled, and he's literally praising and glorifying God, and he's honoring the king of heaven. That's a transformation. That's a legitimate conversion. That's something to get excited about when God does that. I think we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven and we run into some of these people that we thought would never make it and then we're going to be looking for people that they, we thought would make it and may not be there. Paul, I mean, can you fathom this guy that's standing there as they're persecuting and killing Christians for just loving Jesus, for just calling themselves a believer in Christ, and, and he's, he's, he's not just, um, you know, he's literally hunting them down, and he's witnessing the severe persecution against the church as they're scattered out of Jerusalem, and then he's on that road to Damascus, doing what he thinks is a, a good work for God, and he has this encounter and experience where a, a light from heaven flashes and he falls on the ground, he, a, a, an amazing transformation and conversion on Paul's part. And he says in Timothy that I'm the chief of all sinners. I mean, if God can save somebody like me, who is the chief of all sinners, just think what he could do in your life. People like that. That God literally humbled him to a place so that he could be transformed. Jesus saying, if you just humble yourself as a little child, you're greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Think about what a little child is and just the innocence, the humility that they just already have. They're dependent upon mom and dad and family and they know they can't make it on their own. There's just a sense of security that they have you know, being in their home, and there's just an innocence about them. It's just usually what you tell them, they're going to believe it. You can influence a child in such a powerful way. And there's that, there's just that sweetness and innocence. He said, I want you to just be like a child that is just utterly dependent upon the parents and in the kingdom like that, and there's just that simple childlike trust that is there. In James 4, 6 through 10, there's a list of things here that, that I think is really quite powerful. It says he gives grace generously, and as the scriptures say in verse number six of James 4, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So James says, I, I want you to humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, when I was growing up, I remember my Sunday school teacher saying to me, when we felt like we were just getting beat up by the devil or tempted or whatever it was, just resist the devil, Dana, and he'll flee from you. 
And so I would pray, like, Lord, I'm going to resist and just do self-will, you know, like that. And they always left out the most important part of this verse. It was like, humble yourself before God, then resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I could share so many stories when Bridget and I were in conflict, and, and um, she didn't see it my way, and I didn't see it her way. Eventually, she'd see it my way. I mean, usually like that. But. And we're just, like, going at it, like, no, you're wrong. I'm right. And, you know, just going at it like that. And then I would go off, and I, I remember it's like, I'm just going to pray that God shows her that my way is the right way. I mean, is that not manipulative, you know? And it was just so full of pride and everything. And I realized, and I remember God speak to me one time. He's like, you know, you, how are you going to do spiritual warfare against the enemy when you're not in unity with your wife? You can't be fighting with your wife and then fight, go out and expect to have any authority in fighting the enemy. It just doesn't work like that. And it wasn't until I would humble myself and, and really before my wife and before the Lord that really I would have any spiritual authority. And in this, James understood that just bring yourself in humbleness before the Lord and say, God, I can't do this without you. I need your help. I need supernatural provision here. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in this situation. Those are humble prayers. You're recognizing that. And then we can do spiritual warfare against the enemy and he flees. We, we have power and authority over the enemy when we're in that mode. And James goes on and he says, look, he said, come close to God. He's going to come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow. Now you've got to remember he is speaking to Christians. When he writes this epistle, it's an epistle written to the church. These are believers. He's not talking to somebody who's never known Christ. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And here we see it again. And we see it in so many different passages in that come close to God, wash your hands, purify your heart, and we come to a place and we begin to realize that through the door of humbleness and humility, there's a place that we can stand before the Lord that gives us such power and spiritual authority in our life. And it's a place where God will honor us, God will exalt us, God will promote us. And it's that spiritual kingdom principle of promotion in our life. It's, my mentor years ago taught me something that I thought was so powerful. I would often go to him and say, I don't, know how to overcome this certain thing in my life. I feel like I've been going through this test and this trial of my faith for so long. It's just wearing me out. I don't understand. What am, is it I'm doing wrong? What do I need to do? And he said, all I can say to you is if you would just go before the Lord and humble yourself and ask God what it is he's trying to teach you. And if you really hear that and you humble yourself and you obey that and just say, God, I'm going to adopt this. What is God trying to say and teach you here? He'll get you through the test and the trial much quicker, I promise you. And I found that to be true over the years of, of my relationship with Christ as I go before the Lord and say, God, there's something not clicking here. Why have I been in the middle of this for so long? And I would really just study the scripture and try to listen for the voice of God. And I feel like God would speak to me. This is what I'm trying to teach you here. And when I would walk in that, it's like I would get my breakthrough. I would get the growth that I was looking for. I would be able to, it's just like God would 
open the heavens and, and take me through the Red Sea, so to speak, and take me right through it. And he would give me a spiritual authority to counteract what the enemy was bringing against me. It's like, what are you trying to teach you? And so oftentimes in those prayers before the Lord, where I would just kneel before the Lord. And there's something I, I have to say to you. And when we humble ourselves, there's a place for bowing before the Lord. It's not just a form of worship, but it's also a place where we feel led to bow before the Lord in prayer and intercession. I don't always do it, but there are times where I feel very compelled just in my posture to humble myself before the Lord in my posture, and I'll bow down before the Lord. I'll bow my knee and bow my head, and i just in a place of humbleness before the Lord. And so oftentimes, I feel like God is saying to me, you're trusting people, you're trusting your own instincts, but I need you to trust me. That's probably the word that I get so oftentimes. Don't just trust your, your human instincts, but trust your spirit, your heart, when I'm saying to you, and you trust me, I'll get you through it. I remember a season when Bridget and I were facing one of the most important decisions of our ministry and career and we just couldn't come to terms with what to do I mean it would it, it was it was a critical decision that would it would just change everything for our future and I just I wanted the security of where I was at and I didn't know if I wanted to take that step of faith or Lord is this you is this what you're saying and I'll never forget and we just both felt compelled and we kneeled beside our bed in the bedroom, we shut the door and we both just kneeled before the bed and we just humbled ourselves before God and we said, God, we need to hear your voice. We need to know what do we do. And Bridget, I'll never forget it. I felt like it was in that place of humbleness when we, together as we knelt before the Lord that we clearly heard a word from heaven of what to do and it was God and the Lord promoted us and God caused us to be successful and fruitful in that decision that we made. But I don't think we would have ever got the clarity if we wouldn't have knelt down together and humbled ourselves before God. And I think there's so many scenarios like that and as a believer we can be very flippant about following Christ and Christianity and we can be very flippant about the doctrine that we adhere to and we can almost be arrogant. But we realize in reality how fragile we really are. And we really are dependent upon the Lord and that's not a bad thing. And people say, well, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a Christ follower because you, know, you, you Christians, just, you just use Christianity as a crutch. And I have to say, it's not a crutch. Dependence upon the Lord who created me and made me, the God of the universe, it's not a crutch, but I'm being empowered by the God of the universe. I'm being empowered by the one who created me, the one who knows the innermost thoughts of my heart, and he knows me better than I know myself, the Bible says, and he's empowering me so that he can promote me and cause me to be successful. He wants to empower you this morning to cause you to be promoted and successful in your jobs and in your education and your family. He wants to bless you and enrich you because that's what fathers do with their children, even when their children are bad. They still love them and they still want to bless them. 
And then like a father, he wants to bring warnings to us through prophetic voices and people to keep us from going down a path or a road that's going to bring destruction to our life. He wants to keep our pride, that human pride, in check. And I believe that the most prominent way to do that is that we walk with a humble spirit. It's not that we lack confidence. I mean, I have a God confidence. I know that I can do and say things with authority and there's God confidence there. But also within my spirit, I I walk in humility and I know that how important it is each and every day that I kneel before the Lord and I humble myself before him and I realize what Jesus said, apart from him, I can do nothing. And I want to be empowered by the God of this world and I I want God to empower me so that I can continue to walk in success and fruitfulness. And I want God to promote me and exalt me and especially those areas of my life that I feel like are so kind of just trodden down and depressed. I want God to exalt those areas. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Draw close to the Lord and he will draw close to you. And humbleness is something that has been lost in much of the church, I I say this not to point fingers by any means because it's only by God's grace and our personal choices that any of us have just done some of the most ridiculous dumb things and you know what we could do. It's just God's grace. How do we make it? God's grace and just making choices, the right choices. And I remember the man that I worked under with Asian ministry teams and he has said this publicly, I can repeat what he has said publicly. His name was Irvin Rutherford, and he was this little Jewish man, and, but very bold, very courageous, but on the same hand, he was very humble. And he was visiting the States for just a short period of time, and this is during the time when Christian television was in its heyday when, you know, the superstars on Christian TV were just tearing it up, you know, and, and people, you know, we would sit there kind of uncomfortable like a lot of believers when you watch Christian TV and some of the people on TV and you're just sitting there like, should I feel uncomfortable with this or not, you know, I mean, like, they're really doing a great service, but it's just like something's not right here. But yet, you, you don't know if you should say anything. It's like, well, I don't want to be judgmental. They're, you know, they're trying to do the ministry, and they're affecting people all over the world with their TV ministry. But yet, it's like, I don't know. It just it seems awkward to me. It seems like there's a lot of self-promotion, and it seems like they're living this opulent lifestyle that, you know, but yet, maybe I shouldn't judge. And so Irvin was home, and he, he got a venue you know, with um, Christian TV, and he was a great speaker, powerful orator of the Word of God, and, and he went in, had a, a moment with Jim Baker and, and his team, and he said, I come to you as a humble man of God. But he said, the, the Lord has given me a word for you, not to tear you down or judge you or condemn you, but to warn you so that you can be protected and that God can continue to elevate your ministry and use you the way he wants to use you. And he said, he got quiet in the room, and he said, I'm just gonna say what God has given me. This is a spiritual whorehouse. And if you don't repent of some of the self-promotion and the pride and the arrogance that you're portraying, not just on TV, we almost think that this is something that you have done, 
then God will have to judge you. But you have an opportunity to hear this warning and to humble yourself before the Lord and get your hearts right. And Irvin said, they laughed at me. It's like, who do you think you are? I mean, who are you to come in here and to say this to us? And he said it was just a few short months later that it all came caving down. And a lot of you remember that. It was tragic. It was embarrassing to the church. And it was just, it was an overwhelming hit to the kingdom. I don't ever forget that. It's like, God sent no, this unassuming prophet, like a Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar goes another year. He didn't listen. He's standing, looking out over his kingdom. Now, look what I've done. This is, this is me. He's as successful as you could possibly imagine of anybody to be successful. But his success was his demise. And God said, well... I'm going to take this kingdom from you. He's like an insane man that acts like an animal out eating like cows. And, and God just brings him to the lowliest of places and humbles him. And he realizes that because I didn't humble myself, God had to humble me. This is the crux where we're at in our lives. It's so important. I, re, I want to teach my sons this. I want to teach you this. I want, I want to remind myself of this where the Bible says, just humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We either keep ourselves humble or God will humble us so that he can teach us and change, so that he can save our very lives. It's a raw truth. It's a reality that's so important. Can we have our team come and our ushers? We're going to uh, go to the Lord's table here for a moment. And I'd like to have the ushers just begin to pass out the, the cup and the bread. I want to read a verse to you in relation to communion that I think Jesus models this so beautifully. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible says that Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. But you see how powerful this is. That the Lord wasn't exempt from this where his human will is just battling his, the will of the Father saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me as I said earlier, but not my will, let your will be done. And I think that Jesus in his mind knew that he had a choice. And from what he shared with the disciples, that he knew that he would die on a cross, he knew that he would rise again from the grave. And think of this promotion as he humbles himself before the Father and he goes to the cross. What does God do? He exalts him. He gives them the name that is above every other name. He takes them from the cross in the grave to a heavenly platform seated at the right hand of the Father and exalts him, promotes him. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Wow. 
But how did that all happen? It happened because the Son of God was willing to humble himself, as the Bible says, and die a criminal's death on the cross. Now that just says it all to me. As I come to the Lord's table and I realize that as I celebrate his death and his resurrection, his life, it brings me back to remember that that's so oftentimes where we're at in our life. And I think there's a great word for you here this morning. Areas of your life that you want God just to promote and exalt and cause success to arise in certain areas of your life. And you don't have to promote yourself. You don't have to tout to the world, look who I am, look what I have to offer you, look at my gifts, look at my talents. You don't have to showcase any of that. And the Lord's saying, I'll get you where you need to go. I just want you to come to me in, in a place of humbleness and I'll exalt you. And when God exalts us, we realize that nobody can take that away from us, that it was all the Lord and he gets all the glory, amen? The success that some of you are experiencing right now, you know, it's the Lord. Bridget and I were with a couple who we love deeply that were leaders in our church, prominent leaders. And now they're not going to church right now and they're, um, they're just kind of distant. But very successful. And he's like, I'm surprised you want to just even hang out with me still. And I'm like, well, we love you. It doesn't, you know, we do. We love you guys. But I do want to say that you're in a season of grace right now. You're reaping because you were, you were so generous and you gave and served and you're in a real season of grace and success. But I'm going to tell you that that season won't last forever and you've got to really get your heart back and humble yourself before the Lord because this season won't go on forever. Don't be deceived by that. He's like, you know, you're right. So I've been sending him Texas. I'm praying you get your heart back that you become that humble man you used to be.